Hey everybody, welcome to the Linux Cast. I'm your host Matt. And I'm Young. And I'm Evo. Yeah, we, I didn't really prepare us at all for that, but that's okay. Uh, yes, I am back. Uh, I would say I'm better than ever, but definitely not better than ever. If you guys see me scratching my nose, I have the itchiest nose right now. It's the stupidest thing. Sorry. Uh, I'm also going to be coughing through half of this, and then uh, obviously my voice isn't still there. But anyways, uh, this is the Linux cast. We talked about Linuxy things. Um, I'm obviously there's some things going on on my channel lately that's not great because I've been sick. Hopefully things will return to normal once you know I'm actually you know healthy again. We'll we'll uh, see when that happens. When the boss is out, the children play. Yeah. By the way, thanks thanks to the three of you guys for doing the podcast last week. That was wonderful. You guys did a fantastic job. Um, you got it, dude. You guys did a did a great job. Appreciate that. It's, it's nice to know that I can take a week off if I have to, and you guys can carry on without me. So, anyways, before we jump into the news, which is what we usually do, we're going to talk about what we've done this week in open source and stuff like that. So, uh, Steve, why don't you lead us off? What have you done this week in open source? I've been working on Zero Linux and on something behind the scenes that Josh will not say anything about. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I, uh, working on something behind the scenes, uh, trying to get to adapt to the new uh, power schedule, which is completely random. Uh, we get power. I sit on the computer, work for as long as we have it. Then it goes. Then I turn everything off, everything back on, everything back off. That's uh, that was my week in uh, in open source. Other than that, I've been reading a lot uh, and watching a lot of YouTube. Yeah. All right. I'm really curious as to what's you're working on, and you know that's so secretive, but you'll have to tell me later. I'll be honest. He probably said it on his show earlier, where I was half asleep watching the thing, so I have no idea. <laughs> uh, you have no idea. Yeah, you said it on the stream, but okay. Oh, I, I said I don't even know what I said. <laughs> All right, Josh, what do remember? You, what have you been up to this week in Foss? Well, you know, since, since uh, my my venerable 5700 XT has died, I've been stuck with this Arc GPU using and uh, making the 6.2 kernel work for me. And I have an update on the Arc GPU adventures for you guys. Uh, currently, our distro of choice has been Fedora Silverblue 38, which hopefully does not break on me, even though I have already broken it three times, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, running the 6.2.7 kernel, Mesa 23, and GNOME 44. Uh, just just in the event that you guys are going to buy an ARC GPU and install and run it, uh, Fedora right now is the best out-of-the-box distro that actually works with it, besides Arch Linux, which don't even try. Uh, but... For the most part, Xorg session hard locks completely. You can you can restart your display manager service to see if you could get it to work, but it didn't work for me, so I had to bust out login CTO and kill the user session the old-fashioned way. Uh, Wayland works far far better on an Arc GPU than Xorg does. It actually works. Uh, in terms of video games, uh, Doom Eternal is a pixelated mess for me. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with it, but it's been most, mostly no go. Uh, near Automata. Works perfectly fine. Uh, there does seem to be some frame hitching. Uh, World Warcraft, both classic and retail, works perfectly fine. Monster Hunter Rise, I, was, I wasn't able to get the gameplay, but it did compile shaders, so I, I need to figure out what's going on with that. Uh, I have not tested World at all. Now, in the realms of uh, the not gaming and actual productive things, uh, OBS Studio, OpenShot, and Caden Live all do pick up the hardware X264 encoder. That, Handbrake, for some reason, does not. Uh, and then for the AV1 encoder, there is no graphical software that supports it yet, and FFmpeg scripting is still black magic to me, but I'm working on it because it does look like the, that the AV1 encoder is picked up by the Intel Media Driver that Fedora is shipping. So it should theoretically work as soon as I figure out how to script FFmpeg. Uh, Blender runs like absolute garbage. <laughs> uh we are currently working on 17 separate bug reports that we're going to be reporting to fedora who's just going to tell me to take things upstream anyway what i don't i don't understand why anybody would buy an arc gpu at this point this doesn't seem like anything's ready uh it's something brand new that's it it always happens <laughs> it just it, doesn't make it. Oh, oh, 
always buy a generation behind, not a generation ahead. If you're going to buy something. Uh, well, yeah. you see, this is what I happen to have. <laughs> and I bought it just so I could do stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, you're weird. So it's working as intended. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for me personally, I did absolutely nothing this week in terms of open source and Linux or anything like that. There, there have been days where I haven't even turned my computer on, which is just kind of the way things have gone. So... Uh, hopefully next week I'll have some more interesting things to say, but I can say that I'm still on Redcore, um, and it still works just as well as it has been. Uh, I have had, I've been doing the updates and stuff and compiling things left and right when, when I've been you know installing stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm working on getting NeoMutt and all that stuff set up so I can switch away from Thunderbird, uh, and all those uh, dependencies have been fun. So that that's that's. I guess that's something that I did. Um, other than that, I haven't been doing much. Redcore is still uh, here. And uh, I'm like a month and three weeks into the challenge now or so. So, yeah, I think I'm going to make it. But we'll see. And uh, still, K-Win is uh, it's still a uh, crappy mess. What do you mean? It laptops. works far better than SDDM does. No, I haven't logged into Plasma since 527.3 or whatever came out. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's still a shitty mess. I, uh, even after releasing the new Zero Linux, uh, people have been reporting uh, issues with wake up and sleep on Xorg. So, yeah. I, Plasma is one of those things where I always want to use it because it's really good, but it's just it's too buggy and I'm never going to be able to use it. So I've stopped trying. At this point, I've just I've stopped trying. Uh, I'm, I'm right. Well, I, they gave me a, another reason never to buy a laptop. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. Uh, I have a. I've been using Qtile. I'm happy there for now. I've been using GNOME. You're banned off the podcast, dude. You can't do that. <laughs> All right. Anyways, let's go ahead and move on to the first uh, news item of the week. Let's go ahead and have uh, Steve your first one. My first one is going to be the best one of the two that I selected, and it's NVIDIA 530.41.03 Linux driver released with IBT kernel support, Vulkan video, and better support for XFCE for some reason. I didn't know XFCE wasn't well supported by the driver, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, just bug fixes and OpenGL compositing and G-Sync enabling suspend and resume support when making use of NVIDIA GPU system processor, GSP firmware, fixing prime render offload issues for Wayland apps and AMD iGPU. Uh, NVIDIA installer fixes and NVIDIA Vulkan video extensions and various other bug fixes. It's a bug fix release that has better support for XFCE. I'm like, Huh? But anyway, I built the drivers, I tested them, and they worked just fine. And yeah, I did notice a little bit uh, better performance when it comes to uh, gaming because I've been playing God of War on on the system. I will refuse. I still refuse to run it on the Steam Deck. Uh, but yeah, it runs much smoother, less hiccups, uh, and yeah. So uh, it's a it's a nice to see that. Uh, they're releasing uh, new ver new driver versions uh, much more often nowadays uh, than before, uh, and uh, yeah, when it when it comes to uh, the H.264 uh, encoder uh, video decode, it, it made OBS much better. So there's that. Cool. Other than that, it's just a bug fix release and quality of life uh, things. Yeah, there you go. Uh, IBT is actually pretty interesting because that means that that NVIDIA might be signing their drivers a little bit sooner for like newer versions of the kernel, maybe. Seeing yeah, as a, that's what I thought too. Th their track IBT would suggest the tracking off the mainline branch of the kernel, which is the development branch. So that should mean that on your Arch Linux systems, the your kernel should be able to install and uh, it, install the DKMS package a little bit more reliably. Which I know yes. is an issue on Arch. <laughs> Not an issue, no. It has never been an issue for me. But uh, there's another thing you you glossed over that is uh, uh, interesting is uh, that it's on the kernel. 
they're, they're working on the uh, development branch of the kernel. And something happened, uh, which reminds me, I know it's not directly related to that, but it reminded me that Mesa recently shipped, uh, got updated to Arch, shipped Mesa 23.0 recently on Arch, which made laptop owners' lives miserable. Yeah. Not everyone, a lot of laptop owners' lives miserable uh, because they ended up uh, not being either not being able to log on to the um, to the desktop or getting just a black screen with a cursor or lags taking for uh, like five to fifteen minutes for for the desktop to show. So I had to tell everyone uh, to roll back to the previous version, which. Weird on Arch is 22.3.6, whereas the actual previous version is 22.3.7. But for some reason, on Arch is no longer there, uh, so they go back one, two versions behind. Uh, but at least it's more stable on 22.3.6 uh, because I guess something happened. I watched a video. I glanced over a video by Brody, which said that something happened with Asahi. Uh, Manjaro shipping, uh, deciding to merge Asahi code that was not meant for public for the public. It was meant for ARM, and uh, it was not pr production ready. It was just a test. And someone on the Arch uh, end uh, merging it completely, merging it without testing. Yeah, thank, what, uh, thanks, Strit. <laughs> yeah. So he merged it to uh, to to the upstream without even testing it. All laptop users are suffering. Desktop users, no problem. You'll notice a little hiccup here and there, but no, no big issues. But laptop users, oh my God. It's a hell in a handbasket. But yeah, that's, it's related to GPU stuff. But yeah, there's that too. Our lives were, uh, as maintainers, was made uh, better. No. So yeah, that's the GPU news. All right, let's go ahead and, uh, Josh, your first one. Okay, so my first article is going to be a banger, and that is GNOME 44 has been released and still not updated on Arch Linux, because, you know, Arch Linux likes to, likes to track GNOME behind schedule, unlike what people say that Arch Linux is great for getting the latest and greatest software. So as a result, I'm I'm sitting here running Fedora. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, GNOME 44 releases where, the, where Mutter has completely dropped uh gtk3 entirely the so basically your entire desktop environment is now basically gtk4 except for two or three apps at this point like fundamental apps like gnome tweaks and uh boxes and something else extension manager uh if you've used the gnome file picker in the past you know that it does not that it it did not support thumbnails before uh now it does and if you want an explanation as to why it took so long brody robertson has an amazing video explaining why it took them 15 years to fix that <laughs> 18 18 18 years so it's been a long time uh the gnome settings app has been has been uh updated with with like actual well a bunch of features actually but it can sh it'll actually show you secure boot status as well and tpm status as well uh, the file picker, you get the tree, or not the file picker, but the file manager Nautilus, you can get a tree view back if you want it. Uh, there's been some uh, changes to like the mouse and touchpad changes. I actually haven't looked at that because I use the desktop. My mouse works, so I've, I haven't even looked at it. There's uh, another thing for the background. When you get to the background apps in the uh, quick settings, you shall talk about that. Uh Actually, I was going to be getting there after I talked about the sound menu because the sound menu is buggy as crap and it's uh, but it is a massive improvement over what it was. But it is it is a little buggy because for some reason it wants to do, tell me that some of my sound devices do exist, but they have no volume whatsoever until I jump to another another device and then jump back. Which uh, you know when I'm running uh, three displays that have like uh, onboard sound, uh, an audio mixer, a and uh, you know, a set of USB speakers. I have something like uh, eight, eight uh, audio devices, which causes a little bit of bit of hell. And that's why I typically just you know use a wireplumber.com file to to manage my audio devices because it worked a little bit more reliably that way. 
But uh, GNOME software vastly improved. It's actually somewhat functional nowadays. You can actually use it without having to uh, p-kill and relaunch it if you actually wanted to use it at all or just give up entirely and use the terminal like a smart person. Uh, and then the quick the quick setting the quick settings have been fur- further refined uh, with all that other stuff, including a f- terrible attempt at a tra- at a built-in tray menu displaying all your background apps, which if you're using a GNOME application, works perfectly fine. If you're using something else, not so much. And I'm sure that Steve has plenty to say about that. Correct. And another issue with that is the fact that icons are just there. You can't do anything with them. You cannot. You can only close them. Click the X button and close them. Beyond that, what what we used to have in the tray icons, click the icon and have options for each background app running app. Now all that's gone. All you get is a close button. That's it. Uh, that's a half-assed new uh, 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 feature. Uh, they shouldn't have included it until they completely finished it. It's an unfinished product. They shouldn't have included it in this release of uh, GNOME because it's it's just a visual. I guess they they only shipped it because it's a visual confirmation that you have uh, GNOME apps running in the background. Well, let me raise a counterpoint to you. Would you rather than ship something just to like get opinions on it, just like that, or just ship nothing at all and continue to have everybody complain about the lack uh, of? If training? you think about it that way, your argument holds water. Yes, it's just to show people that they're working on it. It's a confirmation. So what you're working saying is it. that GNOME is a an experimental desktop environment. They use their kind of. their users as guinea pigs to test things that they. Sh- aren't really well, ready yet in the history of gnome uh the the even numbered releases are typically what what they treat as like uh, their user feedback refinement releases so a lot of this stuff has actually been community requested that they that they added and changed whereas uh when when you use the odd number releases that's typically where most of your development is actually going to happen in gnome uh for example with uh the but uh, of course, right now they're it's a bit weird right now because they're transitioning everything to GTK4 stack. Which brings me to another subject, Josh. Yeah. Uh, is okay. Their in-house applications are GTK4, but every every other GTK application is still GTK3. It's not tied directly to GNOME. No. It's never. So, yeah, it's never uh, been that way. I mean. No. It's uh, no, I'm not saying it has always. Well, I'm saying all I'm saying is people when when people download a GTK application, it's not uh, going to be 100% GTK4. It they should expect that the vast majority of GTK applications to still be on GTK3 because they're not tied to GNOME directly. Well, how long has GTK4 been out now, and how many of those GTK applications actually see like actual feature releases currently? Like by using by using K, uh, KDE myself, I have or because I'm a KDE super simp, uh, I have a vast majority of my applications that are GTK applications. But uh, since uh, most of the one like 80% of them are non-GNOME specific applications, they just use the GTK library. They uh, 90% of them are still on GTK3, so I can theme them. There's only maybe 5% of them uh, or 10% of them uh, that are GTK4. That's why I can't theme them with the GTK theme that I'm using, which is, has always been Layin. Uh, so they fall back when, when because I, on Zero Linux, I ship the, uh, uh, the uh, what do you call it, uh, the workaround to, to theme uh, flatbacks. That's why I told it, to use when I told it to use uh, lay in GTK theme, but when an application is still using libadvita dark, even though I told it to use lay in, that means that it's GTK4 because libadvita will not, I mean, lay in will not be updated to you to theme GTK4. The developer confirmed, so he quit GTK theming, <laughs> so, uh, he gave up when libadvita got introduced. He, uh, gave up. He's not the only one. There's a lot of them who quit. But uh, that's uh, just verifying that a lot of GTK applications still don't use GTK4. They still use GTK3. Well, don't, I mean, be, don't worry too much. 
the transition between GTK two and GTK three took fifteen years. I mean, and, and there it, are still there are still many applications GIMP that still use GTK two. Yeah, so I mean, it, I, I don't know if it was actually fifteen years or not, but it's, it took a very very long time. So if you're expecting the G- transition to GTK four to happen quickly, you just it's just never gonna happen. No, because I'm saying I'm just saying that because there's a lot of users wondering. Why aren't all the thing, uh, all the GTK applications u- uh, using Layen on well, Zero Linux? That's the reason why yeah. it takes a long time, and there are going to be yeah. some applications that will never see GTK four. Um, exactly, like it's, yeah. it's never going to happen. I mean, it like, happens with KDE too. I, I believe Clementine still has yet to see a QT five release. It still it still uses QT four, and now Plasma is moving up to QT six. And honestly, it's been they've been using uh, QT five for how many years now? Like uh, eight. Eight nine years or something like that. Wow. And uh, Matt was correct when he said some application, a few applications might not even go to GTK4. Uh, they use whatever feels comfortable for their app, uh, perfect for their application. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, then uh, it's a lot and, of uh, work too. To, so to respond yeah. to username in the chat here, GTK5 is not is not confirmed to be Wayland only yet. Uh, but at the same time, GTK5 is also go is also like six to seven years from now so wayland might be vastly improved by then and might and another thing is someone asked <coughs> uh will uh will xfce support wayland why don't you ship no his question was uh will uh xfce ever see wayland support yes yes it will they've already yes, announced it the next version four dot what the four twenty is the next one yeah yeah the next one's going to be wayland so yes. Yeah. Yes, but currently no. So if you want to use Wayland and really, really, really want to use Wayland, don't use XFCE. I mean, you can use XFCE, you just can't use XFWM because all the other XFCE apps are GTK3 native, which means that they do work with Wayland. So all you need is just a Wayland compositor like LabWC. Okay, but your average user no, will not people. go through the lengths <laughs> to do that. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next one, which will stick on GNOME for now. This is mine. So the GNOME guys are working on adding accent color support to GNOME, which is something that people have been asking for for a very long time. Uh, and, you know, there's been some merge requests and actual work on this feature, so we, but we still don't know when it's actually going to happen. And in traditional GNOME fashion, they're going to be doing it in the GNOME way instead of doing it in, you know, a normal way. Just taking it, you know, like stealing basically what, what Ubuntu has done in, in implementing it that way would have been probably a faster way of doing things. But instead... Well, would, they, would you want to implement it in JavaScript or or uh, implement it in the C or Vala code na- natively? I just want them to actually have done this years ago is what I want them to have done. Um <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how they actually implement it because there's not a lot of information, obviously, so far. But there have been some screenshots here. If I can show the screenshots, if uh, it will ever load. Um, it's not the screenshots are about the most useless ever because all they show show is that the quick menu settings the uh, change color. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you want your accent colors to be modifying. Well, yeah, that's obviously one of them, but I'm more interested to see how they... Because a lot of uh, GNOME implementations that have accent colors from Zorin or uh, Ubuntu, they'll change the folder colors inside of uh, Nautilus and stuff. So it would be interesting to see if they do that part. There goes the accent color extension down the drain. Well... Honestly, if they implement it into uh, GNOME natively and it's reasonable, then I think it's fine for that extension to be depreciated. Well, uh, here's the thing, though, is that GNOME never does it. It always takes them a while. So take a a look at what they just did with the background services settings. To replace the task manager, the taskbar, or whatever um, that they had, it's half-assed. It's only partially the way there. It doesn't give you all the features that you want. It's going to be the same thing here. Look how long it... I mean, they still haven't taken and done anything with the ability to have folders on the desktop again. That's been a thing that people have wanted since they've ripped it out, right? And maybe they'll never will. 
But if they were to do so, it would be it, it'd be very simple to begin with. Is the way they've always done it when they take an, an extension that exists and built it into GNOME, it always comes out, you know, partially the way there. Before, you know, and it takes them a little while. So uh, hopefully they do a better job on this one, but we'll see. Uh, it's GNOME, so I'm still not going to use it. Well, uh, uh, accent colors in GNOME is. Uh, I, I consider it it was a missing uh, libidvita essential feature, but it's just I, I see it, the way I see it it's uh, how how should I put it it's part of libidvita so libidvita is not complete yet until accent colors make it in and more stuff are added so it's still libidvita is still to me. Uh, my own opinion i'm not saying uh, to generalize it's just to me libid vita is still incomplete uh with accent colors it's near complete uh there's still a few nicks and crannies they need to work on but other than that uh i appreciate libid vita it can be themed i don't know why people are fighting and screaming and yelling against it and hating gnome for it it's just Needs more work than GTK two, uh, GTK three. Sorry, uh, was. Well, if it's if, a different, if they can make gradients so that it continues to improve, it's going to do do a lot for get theming and, and stuff like that. It, it, it honestly, might. It honestly, might. I think gradients is actually more powerful than standard GTK theme anyway. Say it again. Gradients. No, 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 no. Wait, gradients, gradients. I ship it on zero on zero G, as you have, you might have seen. But gradients is a hack because it overrides a lot of files that are not supposed. Because libidvita doesn't really use the the, the CSS that GTK three and GTK four. No, it, it hard codes, and the way that gradients works is that it intercepts those calls. So I, I know how gradients works. It's a hack. So yeah, but if implemented correctly in libidvita itself, well, libidvita it's gonna do will... marvels. Libidvita is at, there is actually a uh, branch on the Libidvita Git that you can look at that actually has support for CSS style sheets. It's still very early days and not reliable whatsoever, but the it is something that somebody has taken the time to open up a branch and actually do some work on. And last I checked, the uh, last commit relating to that was about 18 hours ago. So there is somebody working there. Yeah. Now, same. I can contrast that. I can contrast that with with uh, with something, for example, like uh, Latidoc on KDE. On KDE, a lot of people are considering that Latidoc is dead. It's not receiving any uh, any commits or anything. This is when you talk about the the stable branch. Yes, that is correct. Stable branch is no longer receiving any commits because the developer is gone, left the project. But they keep forgetting about something called the Git master branch. That exists too. With every stable project, there's a Git project to, to work on where everything is tested on. Then once stable, it will get merged to the stable. In this case, since the developer left the project, all the work is being done still to this day. And there's a Nicolo timestamp on one of his videos that I saved answer people who keep telling me that uh, Latidoc is no longer being maintained, uh, he says it himself that Latidoc is still being maintained, it's still alive, and it's one of his uh, favorite tweaks on KDE. But to go back to GNOME, same thing. There's You got the Git and you got the, the stable branch. If the stable branch doesn't receive uh, updates in six months, that doesn't mean that the Git master branch is not. It just means that a lot of work is... Step? When was the last time we seen a commit to something like Openbox? That hasn't seen a single commit since 2008. That's so. a different project. <laughs> yeah. that's a, so, and look uh, at, Openbox look isn't at, dead. Yeah, and look at, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, ah, I forgot. Hi, Hyperland. Hyperland, I used to maintain the package uh, and push to my repo. That yeah, receives a thousand uh, commits a day. Yeah, about a commit every two and a half hours, and it's just like you, after a while, I just get get kind of just tired of rebuilding the package because you know it seems I to make it. Release, it, I it makes it. I know. A daily releases. 
you that's have. Why you don't, that's why you don't package Dash Git. <laughs> well, he he told he recommended Buxry himself, the developer of Hyperland, recommended the Git uh, package because that's where all the work is being done. But uh, Eric went from Eric Dubois from Arco Linux. He went a step beyond. He forked uh, he forked the uh, the repository and he froze it. Yeah, that's basically what you that's basically what you'd have to do if you're going to be packaging it at all. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the contact information real quick. If you want to get in contact with us, you can do so in any number of ways. But the best way is probably to go to the website, which is Linuxcast. Which is the Linuxcast.org. There you'll find previous episodes all the way back to season one, as well as blog posts when I'm posting them. Uh, I'm behind on blog posts, obviously, as I'm behind on everything. So we'll just have to catch up there eventually. Uh, you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Linuxcast. Thanks to everybody who, who does do that already. I appreciate that. You can subscribe to Linuxcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash Linuxcast. Uh, Josh has a uh, interesting URL that you can find all of his contact information at. He's at 10leejcom slash stalker. Steve has multiple places you can find him. Um, the primary one he probably wants me to pimp is youtube.com slash at zero Linux at Zero Linux with an X, not a Z. You can email the podcast at email at the linuxcast.org. If you watch previous episodes, I try to mention this. All the some of the previous episodes have uh, the wrong email address in the show, the description. So just I, I probably said it okay in the show, but the show notes were wrong. So I, you know just keep that in mind. And you can find all of this contact information at linuxcast.org slash contact where you'll find actual links that you can click on so you don't you don't have to type things in, which is uh, always the best way to go about things. So that is the contact information. I think I got everything there that needed to be that needed to be gotten. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next one. So Steve, your next link, please. My, my next link is the Orange Pi 5 is a great and very fast alternative to the Raspberry Pi 4. I guess with uh, the scalping pr prices of the Raspberry Pi 4 today, uh, it left uh, uh, an empty space for anyone to occupy in the single board computer land. Uh, that's where the uh, Orange Pi 5 swooped and took uh, the crown because that thing is damn. It it uh, it uses the Rockchip RK3588 SSOC with up to 32 gigabytes of RAM, which the Pi <laughs> it was it stopped at eight. Uh, and it has uh, the the Rock Pi uh, 3588S is way leaps and bounds faster than the Raspberry Pi. All in the uh, on a single board computer the size of the Raspberry Pi, albeit a little bit tiny bigger. Uh, it's got a lot of I/O. It's got an HD, a full size HDMI. Thank the Lord, not the mini HDMI like the Pi, because I broke three of those just by plugging them in. Uh, you can run. It's it's community driven, just like the Pi Four. Uh, it you can run anything under the sun on that thing. And it's uh, I love it. Uh, it's it's got uh, PCIe 2.0 USB 3 connectivity, uh, HDMI 2.1, mind you, not 2.0. So 8K, wow. Uh, gigabit LAN. Uh, there's a 26-pin header on the SBC for those considering adapting this to the SB this SBC for other purposes. Uh, beyond that, it's just oh, a 10 times more powerful uh, SBC uh, for a low price, but they don't display the price on the on the article. But let me check the last page. Maybe they displayed on the last page. Uh, uh, base price is $88 for the cheap one. Yeah, it says yeah, so at the last paragraph there. Yeah, $88 for, for the cheap one. It's not as cheap as the Raspberry Pi 4, but for price to performance ratio, I... It's it's better than the rest. So it's you guys probably be able to tell me this better than uh, say stuff about this more than I can because I've never actually had a Pi. But from everything that I've read about the Raspberry Pi, the most recent one is that if you have the top end one and you're trying to do anything with it, it can get very very hot, like very yeah. very hot, right? Uh, yes, uh, temperature is an issue. However, uh, 
all you need is just like the most basic of cooling fans just to blow air over it and it's perfectly fine no, no. can disagree with that in my case I, it has been uh, lighted i'm not using anything i'm not using my pipes for anything super heavy like okay here's, here, desktop. Here, here's the situation the you know fedora released uh, a pi 4 image right yeah i know that uh, i am purposely never going to use it <laughs> i made a review of that i released a review video on that a while back but uh gnome on a raspberry pi how unrealistic is that that's number one yeah that's why that's why i said i would never use it but uh i ran it on my pi 4 for like three days i would leave it just idle no idle and the screen would sleep which matt keeps suffering from on kde that never his screens never sleep well even with the screen uh, sleeping and uh, and the system being idle, I would see temperatures as high up as 88 degrees. 88 degrees. The reason why I asked this is because if this Raspberry or this Orange Pi thing is so much more powerful, has so much more RAM, can you imagine how much, uh, how many, how much more heat it generates than our That's why. That's why they cre the cases they created for it have better cooling than any case for the Raspberry Pi because they took into consideration that this thing runs uh, at faster speeds and more wattage equals more heat. So uh, the the cases that I saw for the for the Orange Pi Five, wow, there there are cases that full aluminum with passive cooling and the whole case is passive as a passive cooler. And they kept the the temperature at full load while running a benchmark uh, as low as uh, 53 degrees, 56 degrees, something around there. And it was running; they were benchmarking it. So I'm like, yeah, this does better, way better than the Raspberry Pi ever did. I so, think the Rock the Rock chip CPUs typically do run a lot cooler cooler than the Core yeah. CPUs too. Yeah, and the, it's an octa core CPU. I think it's uh, eight cores. Uh, so I, I'm I'm waiting to come back from my trip. Uh, maybe while I'm on my trip, I might grab one of those, replace the Pi 4, but because the Pi 4, no matter what I run on it, nothing runs great. You have to run a TTY on it or uh, Pi Hole. Well, those are those are the two kind of uh, OSs that are realistically feasible on the. On yeah, the that Pi said, uh, for my Pi, I'm using the PoE hat, which will naturally have the, have the pie actually run a little bit hotter than it normally would but uh, i'm also running an active fan on that as well and i never see a temperature above above 40 degrees celsius but at the same time it sits in my server room which actually has some air conditioning to it mm. so right. it's not like the pie runs so hot that it's unreasonable well yeah. it just needs a fan but i i knew that i just figured that because this one was so supposedly so much more powerful yeah. that it would it requires it more cooling yeah, uh, uh, in regards to like uh anybody that might be listening to it that it's Oronix did a did a bunch of benchmarks on it where yeah. it shows that the more modern hardware that the Orange Pi is using uh is roughly about uh, two to all to sometimes three times faster than the than the Pi Four, and I think yeah. that they tested equivalent models, uh, but although they I didn't see anywhere where they said exactly which model they were testing. Yeah. The the uh, fastest uh, single board computer in existence today is the uh, what's it called the Kadas Edge two the the the, uh, Kadaz the Kadaz H2. has the best CPU but the Nvidia yeah. Jetson still has the best GPU of course Nvidia yeah <laughs> yeah all right let's go ahead and move on to the next one Josh your second link please uh well Ubuntu twenty Ubuntu has released their latest and greatest LTS uh point release which is twenty two 06.6 or did I mistype that? It's 2204.6. I mistyped it in the show notes. I'll fix it. But anyways, uh, there's the reason why I'm making this like a news article is because it looks like that for some reason uh, their their secure boot keys actually got revoked. So uh, what what this update does is it brings a refresh installer which actually which actually has a fresh set of keys so that way you can actually enable secure boot on your Ubuntu system. Uh, and after doing some looking at this, uh, you can take an existing LTS release of Ubuntu and update it, but you will still have to manually sign the kernel if you if you're if you're running a system that where you actually have to be using Secure Boot due to like some compliance reason. Because uh, realistically, 
you can just disable secure boot and be perfectly fine. But uh, it, there's also several high impact bugs that have been fixed. Uh, the, although these release notes don't really explain which ones, and I haven't really looked. And uh, you know, uh, these the Ubuntu server installer is actually somewhat more reliable now. I've been, really about it. I've been hearing things from people who have been using Ubuntu for many, many years that the most recent versions of Ubuntu have been so much more buggy than they have been pre- previous years. Uh, they, they really have been, but then again, that's exactly why I keep telling Steve, no, don't get, ship GNOME with a thousand extensions because that's exactly what's going on with Ubuntu. Speaking, speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of which, yes, I'm, remo- I'm going to be removing a few extensions, but no, this brings a... You just opened a big can of worms with that article. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> because there's uh, there's this this stigma of uh, will have to update their system to work. It's wrong. I have a user on my server, which I mentioned on my podcast, uh, Peter. He's such a unique person. He's kind of like Josh. Uh, he's such a unique and wonderful person. But uh, are you talking about you know e- how- are you talking about Emacs, Peter? No, no, uh, Peter, someone else. There's okay. a lot of Peters. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I just assume they're all but the same person. <laughs> the way he goes about uh, about doing things is every time I release a version of Zero Linux, he installs it and never, ever runs the update command, ever, until I release the next version in three months. Then does a back does a backup, install, does a fresh install of the new release to get because he's sure that I tested all the packages and he has never had a single issue. He never ran the update command. He's not a gamer. He's not a uh, a weirdo hacker or or if or he works. Broke, don't fix it. Exactly. <laughs> don't don't and and people the stigma that that says that people are afraid. Oh, my computer is not going to work unless I run update ten times a day and get the latest packages. He's treating it as an LTS release. Like he's freezing it by never running the update command. You can't do that. It's not wrong. It's not a, a sin never to run an update if your system is working the way it is. Why do you need to update unless you're a person who loves updating like me? Yeah, you you know that we, because on Linux, the update command is a fearsome command. You should be. Fearful of the update command, especially if you're running Arch, uh, a rolling release like Arch. So the benefit it's to all... running an Arch-based distro and not updating it would simply be the AUR. Well, mm, uh, your I, Arch system actually works. So it's no the update Maybe. command is like a like a <laughs> uh, like like a coin flip. It's e- either your system is gonna be okay after the update. Or it's going to something uh, uh, something in the update will cause your system to die. It's always 50-50. Always 50-50 when with Arch Linux and rolling releases. So if you don't run the update, it's not wrong. Why are are people afraid not to update their systems? If it works, leave it as is. Don't update. This stigma gets my blood boiling. That's that's weird. I find people. I don't find people like uh, Peter weird. I find people who think that people like Peter are weird. Okay. It's just it's just my two cents on on the subject. So stability can be achieved. Just don't run the update command. As someone who lives on a rolling release distribution right now and has for many many years, you know, various different distros, I always update run the update command and hardly ever have problems. You know, it's just all I'm saying is it's a 50-50. Reality of the matter is it's always 50-50. If you don't run into issues, put on you. I never ran into issues. A lot There are people who don't run into issues, but there are people who want stability. Okay, you don't want to toss the coin and uh, my, my wait quest- to see what's on the other end? My question, there, my question there is is if you're wanting stability, why are you running a rolling release distribution? Why don't you run Debian? Or, or if, you want, if, you no, want, no. if you want newer packages, run Fedora. Fedora's halfway in between. Same thing is 
on non-rolling releases as well. But I'm, I was too scared to to say that, but you made me say it. But it's <laughs> it's always a 50-50 chance on the entirety of Linux, but no, more so I, I'm sorry, on rolling I, I, releases. I, I disagree with that. 50-50. I mean, it's either going to work or not going to work. That's it. That's yeah, all I the, mean by 50-50. By saying, 50, uh, by saying you have a 50% chance of your system breaking at every update is completely farcical. Matt, Matt, have you ever heard the phrase, by the way, I run Arch? Yeah. That's why. I don't get it. That's the reason why people run people Arch is because they can say, say that? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, all right. I mean, Pretty much. You know, uh, you're running Arch Linux. You're 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 officially the Linux badass, even though this guy right here runs Gen two. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, well, yeah, I, still it's, five it's always that run Gen two. It's always a fifty fifty uh, chance. No, it's really it's re anybody who says it's a fifty fifty percent fifty percent chance that your system is going to break after an update isn't telling the truth about it because it's not. Ninety percent of the time. Because if you think about it, maybe no, no, no. When no, you no, run, let me, let when let you run an update, it depends realistically on what Grub does upstream. Well, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there are pro people who have problem more problems than others, and I've been extraordinarily lucky. But if if you're not running obscenely new hardware, you're gonna have a, a lot easier time, and your percentage of success on an update is going to be like ninety, ninety-five percent. For most, the vast majority of people, if you're running obscenely new hardware, then you're going to be experiencing many more problems. And uh, we can all look look at Josh as an example, right? He's running an Arc Arc GPU. He's having problems. You know, if you run all all, a all I meant was all I meant was it's what I meant by fifty. Maybe I used the wrong expression. English is not num my number one Realistic, language. Realistically, it's a flip of a coin. That's what I mean. It's a flip of a coin. When you're running a system like Arch Linux, it's probably worthwhile investing investing to take the time to actually pay attention to what packages are updating. But, but which again, a regular user, which said, a regular user will not do. Said. As a guy that at one point ran a Debian stable system for six and a half years as his daily driver, there are times where Debian will screw up too. Well, yeah. yeah. And just because saying. Debian stable is stable, it does not mean that it will work every time you update. That's why I meant. Uh, a, a running update is a flip of a coin. I didn't mean it by 50-50. I didn't want to put numbers on now, it, but that's blind, what I, how I understand Blindly running the update, where you know you you run your Pac-Man-SYYU and then just hit enter and just let it go, that is a flip of a coin. Now, if if you're just going to run uh, Pac-Man-Pac-SU or whatever, whatever I think it's SYU to sync the repositories. Yeah. So, and... And then uh, you you take the time to at least read the package list that you're about to update. That then I'm I'm not going to say that you're flipping a coin because at least you're taking time to understand what you're updating. Yeah. How many people do that? Basically nobody. You, exactly. That's what I meant because people run that, update enter update enter <laughs> update enter. Yeah. Which, which you know honestly those people probably shouldn't be using Arch Linux to begin with, but uh, they're going to anyway. Or Linux as a whole because. But the well, thing I wanted to say, uh, uh, this, the, the the subject we talked about with Zany was so deep. I we talked about it, or part one of it, on my uh, on my podcast. But uh, it, it, it's it's a big can of worms. Uh, we don't need to, to dig into it right now, or else the podcast will go for three hours. It really and is. Everybody we, should just run Fedora Silverblue and enable automatic updates, and just let the system handle everything itself. Well, Pamac enabled the automatic updates and installing updates in the back uh, on shutdown. That's also on an arch system. That's just insanity. Let's just let's just <laughs> have everybody switch to an immutable distribution, where you know if it fit, if it fails to boot, it's just going to automatically default to the last previ previous system that actually booted. Yep. But anyways, Matt, Matt, I heard that Mozilla's got a new project. Uh, when don't they? All right. So the last <laughs> link is that Mozilla has started work on an open source AI to uh, basically compete with ChatGPT and all this stuff. Now, I made a whole big deal about never doing ChatGPT, but I did actually end up signing up for an account and trying it out because, you know, peer pressure and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, really cool. But um, so 
as is usual, when there's something that's very popular that is proprietary, Mozilla takes it upon themselves to make a open source version of it. So they've done it with like the metaverse. They've done it with, you know, obviously a browser. They've done it with several other things as well. The the voice recognition stuff comes to mind. Uh, and AI seems to be the next thing that they're going to tackle. Um, the question I have whenever they come up with a new uh, project is, you know, is Mozilla really the, you know, behemoth that the we want behind is, this? Is Mozilla really the company we want, to be, we want to be working on this? And the answer to that is sort of yes and sort of no at the same time. Yeah. Which the is, wonderful thing about Mozilla is that they are fully committed to this being open source. And as a result, they will be probably at least using the Mozilla public license with it, which means that the it's open source and it's relatively regarded and it's going to be relatively regarded as free and open source. Uh, that said, they are committing $30 million, which is one third of the Google fund to, to this, uh, startup that they're calling Mozilla.ai because it's very creative. Right. <laughs> Skynet. Uh, here we come. <laughs> yep. That said, uh, is there going to be a monetary income for this? So Mozilla can eventually get off the Google fund. Who knows? This is a rabbit hole. They're not going to get out of this anytime soon. No, this is going to be a money sink for a very long time if they keep it up. Uh, and that's just because we know that's we know that to be true because the open AI or whatever has had billions of dollars put into it and they've never been profitable. Um, they're, the thing about AI, of course, is going to be that it requires a ton of work and a ton of time. And my worry, every time that Mozilla comes up with another project, my worry is that the prime... For me, what I want from Mozilla is exactly one thing. I want them to make Firefox good and to keep it good. That's, that's, my personal yeah. favorite thing here is where they get quoted here as to saying that they want to make their... A, that they want to prioritize human agency and the interest of users at, at the core. Which makes me wonder, uh, will uh, Mozilla... Will Mozilla's AI be nearly as aggressive as Bing? Because <laughs> apparently Bing's AI will sit there and shout at you and accuse you of doing things, accusing things, which apparently it doesn't do that now, according to Microsoft, but people are still saying it does it anyway. Don't uh, connect AI to the internet. It will create a, uh, a, a mind of its own, and it's the apocalypse and Skynet. I mean... It won't. It won't be long before there's a Reddit, there's a subreddit dedicated to just making that AI do very shady and illegal things. Do anything. Uh, like we talked. Like we talked <laughs> earlier. Uh, anything that's done for the good will be used for evil. That, that said. That said, I will still continue to give twenty twenty five dollars a month to Mozilla because I still believe that Mozilla, at at the very core, is a good company. It's just that their leadership is still going to be skeptic. Is still going to be sketch as always. Wait. Mo uh, I for someone who uses Vivaldi, uh, we'll Vivaldi is not open source. You know, uh, <laughs> don't beat me over that. I will. Uh, <gasps> uh, I'm gonna say something good for once about Mozilla Firefox. Let me do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mozilla Firefox, I guess, is the only one not using Chromium in the back end. Yeah. Am I wrong? No uh, web. Well, yeah. Nobody uses so, good on web. <laughs> I'm using Google right now. It's actually pretty cool right now. This you're, latest release, you, you, but ninety percent of browsers banned from the podcast. I'm just pointing this out, so you don't count. <laughs> but uh, uh, 90, 90 or ninety five percent of all browsers uh, that exist use some sort of uh, Google Chromium or Chrome engine on the back end. Uh, uh, well, according to the last Pornhub survey, uh, Google <laughs> Firefox has a twelve percent market share. So it's a little bit more than it's a little bit less than ninety percent. It's like eighty-eight. Well, still, uh, Firefox is one of the minority that's not using a Chromium engine on the back end. I give it a thumbs up for that. They're they're not they have not sold to to evil Google. So, well, I mean, obviously, I, I yes, that's the reason that. why you'd want to use Firefox. The point I was making was that whenever they come up with a new project that's going to take millions and millions of dollars, it makes me worry about the future of Firefox because that's that has to be their main project, product, whatever. And it seems that the, the more spread out that they are going to be, the, the more I worry about Firefox, 
you know, maintaining what it is right now and not getting worse. Honestly, um, the only project that Mozilla seems to make that actually makes an income is Thunderbird, and technically Mozilla only has a 30% stake in Thunderbird these days. Okay, I don't so know. They're, so they're not actually really making any money whatsoever off of Thunderbird. Uh, Firefox is basically losing Mozilla money. <laughs> uh, Hemorrhaging money. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything. Which is, why, <laughs> which is why Google is paying Mozilla $100 million a year. Yeah. All right. Anyways, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Go around, move on to the thingies of the week. So, uh, Steve, your your thingy of the week. My thingy of the week is a strange one this week. Uh, I've been updating this package for over six months now uh, on my repositories, and I never really thought about talking about it. But it has been pro- it has proven to be very useful lately, and it's called System Monitor in uh, System Monitoring Center (SMC) as I call it for short. Uh, I, I included a screenshot if you want to show it on the stream. If you don't. Uh, it's just a monitoring tool to monitor your temperatures, your CPU usage, your RAM usage, uh, and it has way more information than KDE's version. So because I'm a KDE user, uh, I needed something to be more transparent, and that tool is amazing. It has a nice UI, easy to read, easy to understand, uh, and it even monitors your internet connection, shows you where the traffic is coming from, going to, a shitload of uh, information and yeah it's a cool little tool Uh, not very big it's a few hundred kilobytes maybe a megabyte at most Uh, and it's uh, it's been my uh, go-to whenever I wanted to monitor it looks like something you would download from download.com and have to bypass Several different things, several different bars that it wants to install for you. So that you don't. You remember back in the day when you had downloaded some download.com and offered install the AOL bar and the the. Yeah, I know. It looks like that. It, it does look like that. It reminded me a bit when I first started using it, but then I got into using it more and more. Well, if you go through the what. more info. Tell you what, we're gonna live install this right now. Uh, let's take a look at this here. You're ruining transforms, Josh. Don't do it. I'm just changing my camera. Uh, I thought yeah, you were doing okay, that in Discord. At, let's look at this here. Uh, okay, so uh, we've got a live CPU readout, uh, RAM percentage. we got some process controls. So this basically just looks like... Uh, this looks an awful lot like this, but the, it just seems to have a, actually quite a bit more detail. It does. Uh, That's why I use it. It does seem to have some GPU support, but of course, me using the Arc GPU is probably reading exactly. the wrong. Well, it seems to be reading the right one, but uh, it doesn't seem to be displaying anything in here. Uh, looks like we, it could detect CPU cores processes, tells me which users are logged in. Uh, integrates system D services, basic system information. It's actually pretty comprehensive. Yes, it is. That's why I use it. And uh, even network, it shows you the network traffic going, coming, and everything. And there goes the power. Uh, but no, <laughs> don't, right. worry, don't worry. It's going to come back. It's before midnight. Uh, right, it seems pretty cool. But it, uh, it, it's a very useful tool. I recommend people who like just a, uh, to use something Windows-like coming from Windows. That's very similar to Task Manager, just with a better UI. Yeah, it's called System Monitoring Center is yeah. the name on GNOME software. Uh, looks like it's on. It's available on the GNOME software? That was yeah, cool. it's, it's, it's available as a flat pack. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yep. Cool. All right. I should stop updating it and offer the flat pack instead. <laughs> uh, Josh, your thingy of the week. Uh, my thingy of the week is a beautiful new note-taking application, which I am currently working on replacing Emacs. Uh, with uh, because the only thing I use out of Emacs is org mode for the notes uh, and this is going to be a very long term project because I've I've decided I was going is I'm going to integrate Nextcloud into my life seeing as I run a Nextcloud server for the purposes of this podcast and my own personal uses anyway so I wanted to take advantage of Nextcloud notes and uh, set up this application called IOTUS uh. It's got a weird name, but it's also one of their convergent applications. So, like, uh, it will work on, like, your Pine phone or, like, any of your Linux phones, as well as your desktop as well. 
uh, ha it uses a uh, markdown synth uh, syntax, so uh, basically, Matt, you're pro you could probably just use this thing just fine. It does not seem to save as local files, but you can get it to generate local files too if you use the if you use a command line argument with it. So, which basically means that you're probably never going to use it anyway. And it has a very, very, very fast sync sync process with Nextcloud. It's using a direct API rather than uh, what what something like a QO notes would use, which is more like an RSS based uh, sync solution. <laughs> but uh, you know, it it seems to work pretty well. I mean, I can just uh, flip my camera back over here. And uh, so this is just like a little test note that I put into it. You can get like an actual render note here. And like I just said, it's just standard markdown syntax. And uh, this is the only note that I've got in it right now. Uh, at least that I'm willing to show you. <laughs> but like I said, it's it's got some categorization and some tagging and some features with that too. And uh, I've got I've got it syncing with Nextcloud right now. But yeah, uh, that's all it is. It's the most basic note-taking application you can have besides using like a standard text editor editing text files. Yeah, sounds really cool. All right, so mine's mine can be done really quick. So, just something that I pulled off because I've been using it for a long time, and maybe other people don't know about it, but it's called Nerd Fonts. It's a huge collection of uh, fonts that you can use to theme your system. Now, obviously, it includes just regular fonts, but a lot of them have been, uh, you know, altered in order to have icons and supports and stuff like that. So, uh, a lot of people use Font Awesome, but Font Awesome is very um, proprietary, obviously. But also, they update it. Font Awesome has some really weird versioning issues. Like, if you're using version 5, you know, you only get access to those, and you have to use version 6. So, there's a chance if you want to use Font Awesome, you have to use multiple different versions of of the the, the fonts, which is can be messy as hell. And uh, so, a lot of people who have problems, like, using Polybar with Font Awesomes, and, and they have uh, problems getting the icons to show up, usually it's because they're using the wrong version of Font Awesome. Nerd Fonts don't ha doesn't have that problem. If you're using the verse you just have the fonts on your system and yes they do get updated but you you can just pull those in and, and do the updates as you normally would you know they're not they're not separate versions that still continue to exist once they're gone uh anyways they're also they're also nerd fonts has a huge selection of fonts i mean if you were to download them all it's something like eight or nine gigabytes worth of fonts which is just nuts i'm the only one stupid enough to download the entire package and install them all uh, usually, you're not, you're not the only. You're not the only one. I have the. I maintain uh, the package, which is 2.3 gigabytes. Uh, but once installed, it's 8 gigabytes. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so unless you're your your package maintainer or you're you know me, uh, chances are you won't download them. But you can go to their website and just go to their the download page, and it'll take you through all those fonts that they have, and you can just download individual fonts. Uh, obviously, they're mostly focused on monos fonts and and stuff like that but they do have others my favorite is JetBrains mono nerd font which is really good so if you are mine, mine too yeah. mine too uh but i'll have everyone know that recently they made the move to uh, the extras repository on arch so they're no longer on the aur nerd fonts aren't on the aur anymore nope why now they moved they, they've been promoted been promoted oh. to the extra extras repository. They're in the regular Arch repository. Okay. Now, um, now they're they're no they're no longer called nerd dash fonts. Now they're called TTF dash nerd dash the name of the font. Yeah. Um. I I never installed it from the AUR. Anyways, I just installed it. From, just pulled down the Git repo and then ran just the. Put on a Git repo and just run the shell script to to install everything. Yeah. That's exactly what you do because it just it works so good. Um. I always have this problem. The biggest problem I have with nerd fonts is because they're so big and because of the way I install them, I always have them in my Git repository where I download all my Git stuff. And half the time I forget to exclude that file from rsync when I do my backups. So every single I have like probably 40 copies of nerd fonts sitting on my external hard drive, just taking up space, which is dumb. But I I need to remember to exclude that file, which I haven't done. Also. Uh, if you do install like from the used to be when you install from the AUR, you you get 
you guys know how like uh the uh, Pac-Man and and any AUR helper will usually keep a cache of the the file package every time they do an update and stuff like that. If you don't if you forget to exclude your cache files from your rsync script or whatever, that will cause you to have a huge backup for that cache file because the entire nerd fonts package is basically stored there. Um, so that, that's another thing to keep in mind because it is it is a very big package if you download all of them. Uh, that's why I recommend just finding the one that you want and you know downloading it. Anyway, so that is it for us this this time, guys. Uh, a little bit shorter than normal, just over an hour, so that was wasn't too bad. If you want to get in contact with us, I already went through all that stuff, but again, the Linuxcast.org/contact uh, is the best place to find all that stuff. You. Uh, you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Linuxcast. Thanks to everybody who does support me on Patreon. Uh, you, you guys are all absolutely amazing. Without you, the challenge would not be anywhere near where it is right now. I think I have uh, all the new guys who who started supporting me during my time of sickness uh, added to where they need to be. So thanks to all the new guys. Thanks to all the old guys. Thanks for watching. We record this live every Saturday at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time or thereabouts. Uh, so join us live in the, in the chat room. We have a lot of fun. And all those who join us live this time, thank you very much. We'll see you next time on the Linux Cast. Take care, right. buddy. Bye, everybody.